What's up, everyone? Welcome back to Dr. Lee Unhinged. I'm Dr. Shaw. I'm Dr. Maxfield. And we always talk about our unhinged thoughts, unhinged efforts. Today, we're just solo, just us two, you know, the heritage too. Um, if you're sick of us, you know, prepare to be sick of us, as the kids say on TikTok. <laughs> So today we're going to jump in with our little bit of our warm-up game, um, and this is going to be the keep it or toss it, go with it. What, what, what are we calling this segment? Keep it, lose it, keep it, toss it, hold it, chuck it. I don't. We don't have a good game. Hold it, drop it. Who knows? Whatever you want it to be called. Hold it, lose it, or keep it. Summer edition. That's what we're calling it. So everybody dial in, and we're going to talk about what things you want to keep in the summer and what things you want to get rid of in the summer. So we're going to start off with retinoids are we keeping retinoids. those or tossing those dr maxfield i bet a lot of people really want to toss these i'll bet a lot of people think they need to toss these but that you don't have to mm. the, the the whole concept of retinols the reason okay why might you want to lose retinol it might make you more sun sensitive that's the main reason i think people think about it definitely some controversy with that so retinol tretinoin they may or may not make you more sun sensitive altogether they might maybe when your skin is more sensitive initially when it's irritating if you're not tolerating it well, but whether or not they actually make you sensitive to the sun, I think that's less likely the case. There are studies showing that that actually increases the amount of sun it takes to cause a burn on the skin. So you can definitely continue your retinoids throughout the summer. For sure. You don't actually probably need to adjust it. Absolutely. So you could probably keep it, especially if you're tolerating it well. It, you know, depending on what study you look at, shouldn't make you more sensitive to the sun. I know that's an incredible thing to say. Uh, most people won't believe us there. Uh, but, you know, if you notice that you're getting burnt, of course, you know, stop it. But for the most part, it shouldn't really cause any issues. The next thing, vitamin C, keeping it, tossing it. You should be using it now more than ever. Like vitamin C has a, a lot of different hats, but one of the best hats and most consistent hats, even of the other kinds. So even if it's not the L-ascorbic acid, even if it's the newest, fanciest, randomest one, it probably still works as an antioxidant. That's like the one consistent thing vitamin C brings to the table. So that pairs perfectly with sunscreen. You should be using vitamin C now more than ever as you come into the summer. Completely agree. Niacinamide all season or what? Yeah. When is niacinamide ever not the right answer? This is like you're obsessed. Always. You're obsessed. All right. <laughs> next up, glycolic acid and other alpha hydroxy acids. Keep it or toss it. Mm, this one's a little controversial. I guess it depends on your lifestyle because exfoliation, I don't, I never have said it. it's never like a must have for every skincare person. It's kind of, I think it's very targeted, very deliberate, and it does consistently make you more sensitive to the sun. So for someone who is like younger, healthier skin, they don't maybe don't need an exfoliant. Plus they're outside. I, this isn't a lose it category for me. Toss it category, the, that category. Right now you can certainly exfoliate through the summer. That being said, it certainly makes you more sensitive to the sun. So you want to wear sunscreen. Does that matter what time of the day you're using it? If you're using it at night or during the morning, doesn't matter. The increased sun sensitivity is related to what it does to the skin uh, by removing or thinning out that um, stratum corneum layer of the skin. So basically it makes you more sensitive to the skin regardless of what time of the day you use it at. Um, and if you notice you're going out in the sun, you're going on a trip, you definitely don't want to introduce this ingredient into your routine um, early early on in the summer season. So that's something that you could toss. Um, if you're tolerating it well, you don't have to toss it. On the flip side, a little fun fact, actually salicylic acid may actually increase your sun protection, believe it or not. Um, so salicylic acid, a similar similar to beta hydroxy acid, not exactly a beta hydroxy acid, 
seems to be safe and not increase your sun sensitivity, believe it or not. Yeah, exactly. All right. Now, trends-wise, are we still slugging in the summer? No. I. So a lot of people don't even like to slug in the winter. It's very much for that person with the damaged skin beard. It's a great trend. It actually is very functional. Great for that damaged, irritated, dry skin. But for me in the summer, it depends on the person in your location. For me, I'm on the coast. It's hot. It's humid. I also lean a little bit oily. So the idea of slugging throughout the summer actually sounds atrocious to me. To me. This is very personalized, but it's almost horrific. It sounds so uncomfortable to me. I'm not having it. So it's out. Yeah. So slugging, usually not, <laughs> not something that you need to do in the summer times, especially with increased humidity. Now, if you have really dry skin or you, you're still in a dry climate in the summer, you could still get away with slugging. It's not going to cause you any harm, but most people are going to be repulsed if they're sweating and slugging at the same time. So, um, so this is something you can certainly get rid of going into the summer and focus more on just like simple hydration. Gel type moisturizers tend to do much better in the summer. Hyaluronic acid is great in the summer, especially in humid environments. So you can certainly switch out your moisturizing routine coming into the summer. Right. And this is where, I don't know how big this trend got. I don't know. Is this still around skin flooding? Is this still around? You, you're more on, the, on this than I am. No, I'm not. I, you know, someone mentioned flooding and I was so tired of hearing new trends that I didn't even know about <laughs> That's it, fair. to be honest. So skin flooding, this one is, uh, it's almost like slugging, but in my mind, it's for that person who either leans a little oily or you're in a more humid climate because skin flooding is where you just use water. This is actually probably the most appropriate use of water in all of skincare hacks that I've ever seen. But you use water, you cleanse your face on damp skin, you put on hyaluronic acid. You're like, how is that a trend? Well, then the next step is you layer it with another hyaluronic acid product like a moisturizer. And so it's just taking the hydration, maximizing your humectant like hyaluronic acid. You could use glycerin. You could use snail mucin. You could use aloe if you want to, whatever. But hyaluronic acid. And then you come behind that and you lock it in with something like a hyaluronic acid-based moisturizer. So you, in theory, would be maximizing a humectant using some lighter weight products. Um, but, you know, it's similar to that. The what I see a lot of people talking about with Korean skincare, like why is that so widely adopted? Why does their skin look so good? It, they layer a lot of hydration throughout their steps. And so it's almost like a stripped down version of that. But I think that sits better for that summer skin. 100%. So, yeah, I mean, all these trends, they come in, they have a cool, fun, interesting name. They're usually things we've been doing since the beginning of time. Uh, skin flooding is something that I personally do and is probably going to be beneficial for most people's skin. <laughs> you can see I'm getting pretty tired three years into yeah. this this game over here with the, with the new trends coming out. You know, I'm pretty fed up at this point. No, no, no. We'll try to stay positive about the trends, but you guys will give a name to anything at this point. You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I'm fed up. Um, all right. So let's jump into the next topic. And this is actually a more serious topic. Um, and we talked a little bit about trademark and we talked about patents and we talked about, you know, just intellectual property and beauty in the first place. But we want to introduce this topic. Um, this article is coming from Glossy. The title of the article is, What's the Deal with All the Trademark Controversies in Beauty? And they talk about a few trademark controversies in beauty. And, you know, one of them leading up here is this trademark infringement suit from state of skin and Saatchi skin and current state. So I'll give you a little bit of background here. So there is an existing brand um, and Dr. Maxfield, I think has it in hand right now. Is that right? Yeah, I've got a couple, two out of the three products. I think you have some type of uh, story here, right? Or do you want to tell that later? 
Um, I'll tell it later. Once we've developed some affinity for the brand, then I'll tell this story. <laughs> okay. <laughs> um, all right. So basically, Saatchi is a brand, you know, rooted in, um, you know, South Asian medicine and, you know, makes these really elegant products, um, beautiful packaging. You know, you could tell when you look at this brand, when you get the packaging, when you look at the website and you look at their social media, that the heart and soul of this founder is in this brand. Mm. And part of their sort of hypotheses on the brand is that they have this thing called states of skin. So it's called Saatchi state of skin, states of skin. And this is a trademark phrase. States of skin, meaning that, you know, we're not really, your skin goes through different states, essentially. Like it's not just, and we've talked about this before, where your your skin is not stagnant. It's not, it's fluid, it's dynamic, it's always changing. It changes on the seasons, it changes on, you know, what environment you're in and, and, and as you age. And so basically the idea of this is that your skin changes depending on where you are and Saatchi is sort of positioned so that the products are supposed to address this, your current state of skin. Okay. So this is actually sort of a unique concept, right? There's really not a lot of brands that take this approach. Am, am I right, Dr. Maxfield? Can you think of anyone else that does that approach? Uh-uh. No, they do have a very unique take. Everything about them is actually very unique. So heart and soul of the brand, you know, ingredients are very thoughtful, packaging very thoughtful, you know, very, very much you know, a well thought out brand with execution, great branding. This other brand comes along, right? They have a little bit more money behind them. And they release a brand called Current State of Skin um, or something like that. I don't know the exact name of this brand. But basically, uh, a spinoff of this that they're going to release in the mass market, right? Because this this other brand, Saatchi, is a little bit more premium. And this brand is supposed to be in mass at this point, right? And they filed for a trademark for this current state of skin. And they were denied a trademark from the trademark office because the trademark office felt that the trademark was too close to states of skin from Saatchi, right? So they even denied it. And they still tried to file a petition apparently to try to you know, keep this brand, keep that name going. And they uh, failed that. And then of course, now Saatchi States of Skin, small founder led brand is now trying to stop them from using this trademark because there's a, a lot of good reasons to stop this one. You know, it's your intellectual property. You work super hard, you put your heart and your soul in it. And then somebody who's bigger, who has more money, who has more ability to get this into retailers, starts using it. And then it creates confusion, right? Because one, if you get this product and you don't like it from wherever they're selling it, Walmart, Target or whatever, then it may create confusion or lack of affinity towards the original brand Saatchi. That's number one. Number two, people start to think that Saatchi is actually stealing the idea from them because they're the ones that are in everybody's face, right? So then now it's like, who's who, who came first, the chicken or the egg? Nobody knows except for the people that are part of your origin story. And most consumers aren't going to look that up. So it starts to actually look like the bigger guy stole it from the smaller guy or the smaller guy stole it from the bigger guy when it's actually the other way around. So there's a lot of problems with this. But what are your thoughts, Dr. Maxfield? Well, you brought in a few really good points. And so this actually some of this almost ties in with me so i completely agree with everything you said about the brand it is actually a very nice brand it definitely is not one of those budget-friendly brands right 
And it definitely lives in the, I don't know, middle upper price range for the products. The products are very thoughtful. They're very unique. Um, and so when you do have a company that comes out and can create something similar, especially for the consumer with a similar name, and they, they're, but they're the faces. They also, something that they talk about here, I think the article too, is when a celebrity line or people's recognizable faces, they put out something similar, then that becomes what is first affiliated or associated in people's mind when like a, the state of skin comes to mind. So you can, I can easily see how a smaller company could just be overrun. And then honestly, just it could kill the company. Like this could have killed Sashi just with their states of skin name being replaced by a more recognizable, more publicly available and more budget friendly option. Um, then it just takes out the original thought. Now, the, the one thought here too, though, is this idea of trademarking names and ideas because we just have so many it, honestly, it's just hard to come out with anything original these days. Like no matter what you're doing, if you have an original, I have so many times on social media, I've had what I thought was an original concept and I post it and sometimes it has been. And sometimes it actually is probably something very similar to what someone else has done. I had no idea. Now, obviously this is different because the new company was completely aware that they were stepping very close to an old company's name or the other company's name. But um, it is really hard at this point in time to come up or hold on to something like a name or an idea or an image. Image, creative, digital content, digital art artists are having the same problem. Like they create something similar and then AI generates 100 million spinoffs of it. And we, we were talking about this behind the scenes at one point. And so it's very difficult for them to have and hold on to their intellectual property too. So in a world now where information has become less of a, or a commodity, it's very widely accessible. Um, it's hard for anyone to hold on to anything original, I think. Um, now, the, my story for this brand, I got the products in the mail. They were look very nice products. And Sashi, I mean. Sashi products. Yeah, sorry. The Sashi products, Sashi states of skin. Um, they look great. They're really unique. They have combined lots of interesting ingredients, uh, peptides, retinol, gluconolactone, like everything you'd want out of a product is very nice. They're elegant. Then I was on a road trip and I was bringing these with me on the road trip to shoot some video in Tennessee. And I went out to get gas, opened up the trunk and the bottle fell out and they're very nice you'd set it yourself they're like a glass bottle smashed all over the ground and this i've never told anyone this because i was actually very embarrassed I was like this is such a nice product i knew it was expensive at the time and i couldn't that one i hadn't tried out so i could i felt like i couldn't even talk about it anymore i was like i can't couldn't try the product i even thought about just getting a little bit off of the ground and just you know putting it on my face just to see how the experience went um, but anyway, so I didn't, and I never posted about it and I feel bad because it's actually a very nice brand and it wasn't their fault that I didn't talk about it at some point. It was mostly just that it broke on the ground before I had a chance to try it. So that's my sob story. That is a terrible, terrible sob story here. Um, <laughs> but yeah, you know, I, I agree, you know, I, I, I agree with everything you said, you know, I think it's hard to come up with unique ideas when you come up with a unique idea and then that idea is stolen by somebody else. It feels wrong. And, and you know, there's a reverse side too, where some people, somebody holds a trademark or they hold like a pat, like it's like if Windows, the operating system sues like a window 
uh, somebody who cleans windows, you know, th- that feels wrong too, right? It's like mm-hmm. when it's like totally not related it's or it's not unique and you have somebody who's really aggressive with their trademark holding, um, that also feels wrong, right? When somebody's like just protecting their trademark at all costs and they're really not like related fields, but they're suing people anyway just to be aggressive. Mm. This is not that, right? This is totally a yeah. different situation where you have a small indie founder brand um, who created something that was unique and special Somebody who has more means, more budget, goes in, creates it, makes it available at mass. And if you actually look at the brand side by side, when you look at like the fonts and the colors, they're not exactly the same, but they look very similar. Like they're eerily similar in the way that they look. Hmm. And it feels like, and, and we know for a fact that they knew, right? Because they were denied the trademark and moved forward anyway. Now, I understand from the bigger brand, like it's very difficult once you create packaging and you create website and you have a branding guide together to go and change everything. But at the same time, like, you know, they they clearly in, in, in well, I'm not like a lawyer, so I'm not going to pass judgment <laughs> on this, but it seems like, you know, a clear trademark infringement in my mind. And, um, you know, I think hopefully they figure out a way to rectify this. But, you know, I think that it's very clear that the person who Sachi created Sachi is very very, very passionate about the brand. And, you know, she's fighting uh, for her life, essentially, both in media, on her social medias, you know, reaching out to as many people as she can to kind of win this sort of David Goliath story here. Um, mm-hmm. So, you know, if you feel so inclined to support the brand, um, definitely do check them out. Um, their website is Sachi Skin, S-A-C-H-I skin.com. Uh, I'm not affiliated with the brands by any means, but, you know, it feels like she needs all the support that she can get right now from anybody that she can get support from. And, um, I think that, you know, intellectual property is super important. You know, it's, it's, you're putting your work and your passion in it. I do this quite a bit. Like, you know, even the work that we do on social media, we, we put a lot of our heart and soul in it. And then for us, like we want more people to take those ideas, package them up and then repurpose them. So more people know about our knowledge. Um, so we don't feel like it's a big thing, but you know, I know a lot of other creators feel like their scientific wisdom is then, you know, repurposed by other people. I don't know if you've seen that as well. It's a little bit different, but for us, like the more people, at least for me, like the more people that get our knowledge that we're sharing here and then use it and share it with their followers. Like I don't need credit for that. Um, but you know, it happens quite a bit and we see it all the time. Yeah, it does. We've seen that for us. It almost feels like more of a trickle down effect, I guess. Like there have been some things we've talked about and then we see that start to move into different circles and it kind of spreads like a wildfire from there. And that's good though, because for the most part, those are things like we believed in. And I I genuinely believe that a lot of those ideas and some of these things we've talked about have changed and shaped some of the way products have been developed and created. And I mean, I actually know this for a fact that certain skincare companies sometimes smaller ones have actually been watching our videos and literally made products based off of our videos. Cause we're like, Oh, this would be perfect. This would be perfect. They're like, Oh yeah, that's a great idea. And they've told me that, that we had genuinely inspired their formulation and their product. Like, this is crazy, but it's fine. Like uh, we're fortunate in that we have, we talked about this too, but we have multiple in a way with multiple lives because all of our income isn't tied to this for a founder brand for someone who's dedicated their whole life into building a business that's really closely tied to them as a person, if that gets stripped away, then pretty much their whole livelihood and, but they're even almost more importantly, their passion is stripped away. They're their outlet for their passion is stripped away. And so for us, like, you know, this will eventually go away at some point. That's okay. We thankfully have our other job, you know, being doctors and dermatologists that we actually still do that. Right. So 
that's a part of what we do. But for other people who don't have multiple legs they're standing on, like that is destructive when something like this happens and then they lose their ability to control their messaging and their product and their, me- their ingredients and all that. A hundred percent. So yeah, no, I, I completely agree with that. You know, I think that it creates real harm and, you know, it shouldn't happen. Um, so yeah, no, I'm, uh, I think we're on the same page with this and, um, hopefully like the message gets out to other people that this is happening. Cause right now when you like just Google this, um, ultimately the other brand comes up, uh, mm. which is unfortunate mm. cause they're winning sort of the PR war because they mm. have more access to publication. So, um, kind of a, you are right. yeah. unusual situation, but it's, Googled it's it. it feels yeah. unfair to me, um, in my mm. soul, but, um, but hopefully the good guys win, um, as I always say. So, so you won't be seeing any, won't be seeing any current states of beauty sponsorships on this podcast. It sounds like <laughs> let's just put it that way. We're pretty much got ties um, there. And, yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, I don't think they would, they would sponsor us. The competing brand would, I don't think they would sponsor us. So, and we would deny that sponsorship to be clear. So next up, um, this is, this is going to sound like it's sponsored, but it's not. So this is coming from Good Housekeeping. Why CeraVe is the skincare brand dermatologists and influencers won't stop talking about. This is going to feel sponsored that we're bringing up this article, but I actually think that we needed a place to have a longer dialogue about CeraVe and the other drugstore brands in general. Because there's this idea, I think, on social media that, and to be clear, like I've done a lot of sponsored content with CeraVe in the past. Um, it's one of my favorite brands and that's why I've done sponsored content with them, but I've done quite a bit with them, but I want to talk about the brand separate from my sponsorships or my relationship with them. Why is it so popular? It's one of the more unlikely brands to become popular in my mind because it's a drugstore brand. It's not pretty packaging, um, you know, white tubs that look a little bit like medicine, um, don't seem to be something that would win in the beauty space, but unlikely they have won. They've become the number one skincare brand in the United States. Why has that happened? What do you think, Dr. Maxfield? Well, so for me, it was interesting coming in on the CeraVe, the CeraVe hype. Because, well, first of all, I didn't even know how to say the name. I, myself and I'm sure half the dermatologists in the world were like CeraVe. Um, and then through Dr. Shaw and the CeraVe's of the world, we learned to CeraVe. But that kind of speaks to there's there was a familiarity with this product within the dermatology world that was completely dis- separated from, I think, the general public. Because this brand, it was that dermatologist go-to. Like off the bat, this and Vanna Cream, they're actually very similar in a sense. They're very stripped down, very minimalistic in a sense, very fragrance-free, tailored towards that sensitive skin that dermatologists are always kind of aware of and trying to protect. And so there was a professional acknowledgement that CeraVe was a top-notch brand for that traditional dermatologist patient. And then really, I think about the time where I was just entering into the social media space, it was well into when CeraVe had blown up. I was tired of hearing it. Like Dr. Shaw was raving about it. Every single person was raving about it. If you haven't noticed this about me, like I guess when things blow up, I immediately, I think instinctively just like, uh, that's enough. It's too hyped. It's overhyped. I'm tired of hearing about it. And so I was that way with CeraVe. It wasn't anything against the products. The products are amazing. They live where they need to live. They're still perfect for that, that uh, budget-friendly quality product for that sensitive skin or even for just normal skin. Um, but so for me, I kind of came in on the tail end of the social media side. I was already professionally aware of it, but I don't definitely didn't know the historicity behind the brand. I just came into it as a dermatologist, like, oh, this is a good brand, a good, generally recommendable brand for skin. And, um, 
I had, so my mind was more like the drugstore professional experience. Like this is why this is a good product, but it wasn't as much the, um, I don't know, not the trendiness of it. I mean, it was really, it was a trendiness of it. You're just completely different, I think. Well, my story is a little bit different. I mean, the, I guess the, the real rooted question is like, why do derms like CeraVe? And, and then how did it grow up, blow up on social media is a different story. But I think we got to start there because in my opinion, that's the genesis. Like CeraVe was being recommended by derms in their offices since the beginning of the genesis of the brand in like 2005 and 2006. And basically it was built on sensitive skin. Um, the idea that their formulary would be fragrance free. They would use pro- they would use ingredients that were free of common allergens. The ingredients list would be very boiled down, simple. They would increase, every product would include ceramides um, to help restore the skin barrier. Why is this important? There, this is important because in dermatology, we have a lot of patients that come in with impaired skin barriers, eczema, um, they have acne, they have rosacea, right? They already have a lot of problems with their skin. And they come in to see us and we want to make sure that the free from list is actually really important in dermatology. We want to make sure we're not exacerbating their skin condition with the over-the-counter drugstore products we're recommending. And then on top of that, we're prescribing a lot of harsh actives, tretinoin, um, other ingredients that we're using that are going to be irritating to the skin. And so we don't want your cleanser, your moisturizer, or your sunscreen to irritate your skin when we have these other products that are a little bit irritating, like your benzoyl peroxide that we're going to prescribe for your acne, right? So we needed products that were safe and effective, minimal ingredients that were going to help restore the skin barrier for our derm patients. And so organically derms were recommending CeraVe since the genesis of the brand before social media was even a thing. When I first got into Derm, it was the first brand, like Dr. Cook, you know, one of my mentors and associate program director when I was in residency, he told me, you need a, a list of products you're going to recommend to your patients because they're going to always ask you to help with their routine. And he said, here's some CeraVe products, take them home, try them out. If you like them, use them in your own routine. Um, and if you like them, recommend them to your patients when they ask you. And I started organically using CeraVe myself. And then so, of course, when I got on TikTok and people asked me what my routine was, the first products I ever used was CeraVe. CeraVe had no idea who I was at this time and I would talk about them all the time because they were the products I used and they were always recommending my patients and my patients love them. And so that's like the only brand I actually really knew very, very well going into social media. And then um, I, of course, learned quite uh, quite a bit more. And then CeraVe discovered my content and we've been working together since. And so that's how it kind of happened. But the reason why I, I think it started going viral was because it was like the this, this, this secret that patients would get from their derm, Right. It's like everybody's recommending these really high-end products at Sephora and they're seeing these on social media. They're beautiful. The packaging is beautiful. But then they go to see their derm and their derm recommends this very unassuming bottom shelf product at Target and they get it and it makes their skin better. And so then they start telling their friends, oh, I saw my derm and check out CeraVe. And so then those people, because TikTok made it so that anyone could become an influencer, they get on and they start talking about t- the CeraVe, right? And the CeraVe is like the derm secret, but then it becomes like publicly known and everybody knows. And then it goes viral, right? And then it starts working and people are happy and helpful. And so so the reason why derms recommend this, it's not because it's sexy. It's not because we're getting paid by them. It's because like we were always recommending this and then social media happened and it amplified it, but it was never something new that we just started doing in like recent years. This has been happening for, you know, 10 years at this point, 15 years. So um, it's just interesting to see it happen because it's a very unlikely brand to go viral the way that it has. But I think it deserves its virality because it's widely available, it's affordable, and it uses good ingredients, right? Like, is it the best brand of all time? Like, I mean, I think that remains to be seen, but like 
the the reason why derms like it there's no ulterior motive it's just because we want our patients to have better skin and we've been recommending it since the brand first started just like your vanny creams and, and other brands out there that are sort of more derm focused yeah that's a another point too is the the idea because I, I don't remember if you already said this in here earlier but you're like oh yeah you know dermatologists talk about CeraVe because they're getting paid to talk about it no that's not absolutely not the case like dr shaw said this is something they've we have collectively always been talking about like i stepping into residency it was like oh yeah dermatologist CeraVe, dermatologist CeraVe. like it was it's always been tied and so it's only natural that i think as you said this derm secret came out i love the way you put that 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 like just really should open some eyes as to why this blew up the way it did especially from a derm perspective i almost equate CeraVe in a similar sense to tretinoin in a way because they, they both are like that derm secret like retinoids that's like the, der- the the not sexy thing that works right yeah like that's what it is <laughs> exactly yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they're staring 100 i mean it's the same thing it's like the the old old reliable i don't know what's that thing called the old old and steady i know that lou will know old, this the geyser old faithful old faithful, old faithful. <laughs> That's Cerebi. That's, that's the next graphic. Old Faithful with Cerebi. That should be their new hashtag, <laughs> Old Faithful. No. Yeah. And, and that's what it comes down to. It's it's really not that complex. It's not that deep. Um, you know, is it going to solve everyone's problems? No. Um, are some people going to have problems with it? Yes. Um, but the, the reason why people love Cerebi is because it's simple and effective. And, you know, it just so happens that the world knows the derm secret now. And that's why it blew up. That's my thought. I don't know. Um, from an insider's perspective, I think that's what happened in my mind. Um, next up, let's talk about quickly, briefly. Hydrafacial is upping its cool factor, one brand partnership at a time. This is another article coming out of Glossy. They do a lot of, they do quite a bit of good articles in beauty. I actually like this um, publication quite a bit. So they're basically saying that Hydrafacial is upping their cool factor, one brand partnership at a time. And uh, basically, the idea is Hydrafacial is an uh, in-office device um, that uses for many different purposes. But it's basically like a facial device that uses water-powered suction. And they also have some serums that are infused into this water power suction, like exfoliants and hydration, um, to basically clear your pores but help to restore your skin. And it's really gone, it's become widely known through a lot of celebrities. So celebrities get these treatment done or they get a paid partnership with Hydrafacial and then they talk about it. But it's really just like a, a facial device, essentially. Have you ever had a Hydrafacial done before, Dr. Maxfield? No, I haven't. Which maybe when we do Dr. Maxfield and Dr. Shaw go to the spa, this is something we'll have done. But my experience from it was, my first experience, I should say, was that they came and they did a demonstration at our office. I don't know if you were there yet. It was back into the days of residency, and they did it on like Dr. Crane, another one of our mentors and program directors. He's, and he's an outrageous individual, like very, um, he'll speak his mind, he's loud. And it was just absurd watching him because he was just blown away by the the gunk and the stuff that came, was coming out of his face. He was like, <laughs> he lost his mind. But that, that was my first experience, and that's always stuck with me. That's amazing. Yeah, that's exactly what happens. It basically sucks all this stuff out of your pores, but it's not like your traditional pore vacuum that that suction tends to cause bruising because you're moving it over the skin, you're gliding it over the skin. So the suction's never in one place for too long, but it helps to kind of clean things out of your pores. And it's actually phenomenal, even with someone with a great skincare routine, 
can, you can get out of your pores doing these types of treatments. So I think overwhelmingly, I, I think that these treatments are beneficial. Do I think that they're necessary? Like you need to do this in your skincare routine to have good skin? No, but I can tell you, I've had one of these like water powered facial treatments done, which mm. is it's, it wasn't hydrofacial. And I want to also make this clear that the branding versus the, the actual mechanism of the device they're totally separate things right so like hydrofacial is one brand of water-powered facial devices <laughs> and there are many water-powered facial devices out there that do the same plus or minus more right but hydrofacial is just a really well-branded one that accomplishes that task do it, ha- having one of these done I actually think it makes a really nice difference to your skin especially for before an event, or if you just want to clean out your pores every two to three months, or even monthly, if you have the budget to do so, but they are kind of expensive to get these treatments done. They can range anywhere from $200 to $400, sometimes even $600, depending on how expensive the place that you're going to is. But I actually do think it makes a big difference trying to clear out your pores and just rejuvenate your skin and give you a healthy glow. Um, We have a device similar actually at my office that accomplishes the same task. It's called Bella MD. And uh, it works phenomenally well. I had one done probably about a week ago. And just like looking at like those sebaceous filaments on my nose afterwards, I was shocked at how much of a difference it made. Hmm. And then the esthetician Lowe, who's amazing, by the way, did a uh, bunch of extractions around the corner of my nose as well, where she just kind of removed a lot of that gunk there. But afterwards, I walked out and I was like glowing and I was like, wow, this is actually phenomenal. But like I said, I don't think it's necessary um, to get these done, but I actually do think it, they work really well. I think that's the best way to say it too, because one of the most common, que- I don't know, maybe a little less late, but one of the most common questions we get or I get is like, what do you think about facials and hydro, not necessarily hydrofacials, but the whole tech. And it's always kind of the same thing is just like, it's a great way to jumpstart your skin. Um, you can do it intermittently. I think the bulk of the work is still going to be done by the daily routine, those topicals you're using, your consistency with that, your ingredients that you're deliberately picking. But the hydrofacials of the world, they absolutely have a place. Um, not every, You don't have to use them. You don't have to have it, but they can be helpful. I, I have no question about that. It's funny, though, that this came up because um, one of my uh, friends here is Dr. Prem Tripathi. He's a plastic surgeon. I'm always watching what he's doing. Um, He's just a very interesting guy, but uh, he's, he's he just put up a sponsored post. Yeah, he's very entertaining. He's savage, but uh, he just put up a sponsored post for this. And he's um, just such a critical person. Sometimes always so interested to see what he's going to double down on and stand behind in a paid fashion. And this was one of it. And I was like, that's so interesting. Very good. And I have, and I have no doubt he genuinely loves this. He genuinely utilizes this in his office. Um, it, it does what it does and it does it well. Yeah, no, I, I completely agree. I actually just, you know, how I always come up with these like crazy analogies. Uh-huh. Um, and I'm like, what is the analogy for this in the skincare oh, routine? And you, and then you always debate me on the analogy. Like, remember <laughs> yeah. I said that, you know, your, your skincare routine is like tailoring. You kind of tailor it to you. Like it comes off the rack, but then you have to adjust it. And you were like, that's a terrible, terrible analogy. But I'm going to, I came up with a new analogy in my mind. You tell me if this is good. Mm-hmm. So, you know how you get your, you, you get your car cleaned, right? It takes okay. the car wash. Then you get the little vacuum. You vacuum the car yourself. That's your skincare routine in a sense, right? That's your maintenance. But then every now and then, maybe once a year, maybe longer, you get your car detailed. And the detail is the deep clean. And that's how these water-powered devices like Hydrofacial and Bella MD 
fit into your skincare routine. They're not doing the bulk of the work and they're not maintaining you on a daily basis, but they do actually give you that extra glow, extra shine, but you still need to maintain day to day. What do you think? That's pretty good. That's one of your better analogies for sure. Do you actually clean your car throughout <laughs> the year? I'm just checking. No, I don't. I don't do that. It's a bad either. analogy for my life. Um, <laughs> Me too. And, yeah, okay. Well, it's, it's kind of like, okay, okay, fine, fine, fine. It's kind of like cleaning your house, right? You keep your house clean every day. You pick up stuff. You wash your dishes. But then around springtime, you do a spring cleaning. Mm-hmm. And that is hydrofacial. Okay, That's but fine. ultimately, I think it's great. I think it's awesome. I think they have great branding because they've become the only one that anyone knows about. Um, but I think that they work quite well. And I think that if you want that, that glow before yeah, like a I wedding would, or an yeah. event, I think hydrofacial is actually something right. that will get the job done and you'll be pretty <laughs> happy with those results. <laughs> Sponsored by hydrofacial. No, I'm just kidding. We're not. Where's our sponsorship for hydrofacial now? No, I'm just kidding. Um, but anyway, um, yeah, I think they're cool. And, and, and I think that, you know, obviously these brand partnerships can, you know, carry some brands to the next level. So I think they've done a really great job as positioning themselves with different celebrities to, to give a cool factor um, to their devices. So I think that pretty much wraps up the topics we wanted to talk about today. I think we covered quite a bit. Um, random topics, as always, we talked about lose it or keep it. We talked about trademark controversies we talked about CeraVe mm-hmm. we talked about hydrofacial so let us know what topics you want to hear from us next let us know if you want any specific guests on the podcast we can always reach out to any of your favorite skincare creators try to get them to pop on or even some of your beauty brand owners we're really interested in talking to people that own different brands getting the inside perspective so if there's anybody you'd like to see leave it in the comments on YouTube if not subscribe to us wherever you listen to your podcast Apple Spotify or YouTube yeah, we appreciate you coming along this journey with us. Um, it's a blast. Thank you. Also, maybe celebrity chefs. Is that we you not, really have a thing for? <laughs> we know what food for your skin. Why not food? Yeah, we need to. Talk I mean, about what that. you put in your body it affects your skin. I feel strongly about that. Um, so mm. let's get a celebrity chef on here. Yeah. All right. Thank you all so much for tuning in. We'll see you on the next one. I got to catch a flight.